Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not a Genre, the interview edition. I always expect an echo to come out there. It doesn't happen, but, you know, imagine it in your head. Thank you, as always, for listening and watching. Don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash musicisnotagenre, or for the audio version, anchor.fm slash musicisnotagenre. My public hub, as always, is on youtube.com slash nickdimatteo, and... The new podcast home is at nickdematio.com slash podcast, where you get every version and the text and links and a little bit more than that. Um, thank you as, again at this, with me this week on the 23rd edition of the interview sub-series of Music Is Not a Genre. This is also season four, episode 33. For those of you who are listening, this is Bridget Hogan. Bridget is a classical singer, actor, and teaching artist who was recently named Artistic Director for Reaching for the Arts. There are a ton of credits listed here, all very interesting, which we are going to get into throughout the course of our conversation. Bridget, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Nick, but thanks for having me. It's, It's really cool to come and chat. It's my pleasure. You know, um, I I don't want to jump the gun here and and say a lot because you're the guest. So why don't I start with this? Because I start uh, every guest off with this. And that is how do we know each other? How do we know each other? You know what? This is like the best answer I've ever given an interview for how we know each other, because I love how we know each other very, very much. Um, I'm sure all the listeners have heard about your three amazing, amazing kids. I won't use names because I'm like, very teachery and very careful about, but your two younger children, uh, two younger, your two sons are very dear to me because they are both students of mine. Um, so I am very proudly uh, the music teacher for St. Joseph School, Yorkville. And that is where uh, two young DiMatteo gentlemen go to, went to school. One has since graduated and he is a private student of mine who I will brag about, I'm sure, at some point in this interview. And um, your younger young man is not so little anymore um, moving on from there, but I have one more year with him and it's been an absolute joy getting to know your family. You've been an amazing support to to them and uh, in so many ways, uh, some of which we may mention. I... Uh, yeah, um, that St. Joseph Yorkville so for the, of Yorkville, uh, those of you who don't know, is on the Upper East Side of New York. And it's been kind of our second home, uh, starting with my daughter way back. We've been there for 17 years. And this oh, year would be the last one. 
my youngest is graduating, as you know. So it's 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 been a real journey, and there've been some great things there artistically. But when you came on and really took the the helm with the choir and all of that, and um, you know adopted my boys in the way that you have. <laughs> It's, it's. I think they adopted me. Rewarding. I'll put that correction in there. <laughs> yes. They've looked after yes. me a lot more than I've looked after them. Oh, but... that's how kids are, right? You know, <laughs> they, they tend to give as know. much as you give, if not more. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, that's that's true. So, yeah. So that is, I mean, that is one of the most joyful, you know, it's usually, oh, we work together here. We did that. And I'm sure we will and continue to do so in our musical worlds. But, you know, um, it's such a joyful answer and I'm sure we'll get into teaching, but it's such an interesting um, part of my artistic life and world. And those two, I'll take the time right now to say to their proud dad, those two are such an, a special part of why I teach. Oh, wow. So, Thank you. Yeah. It feels good. <laughs> uh, and we will get into teaching later because, um, w- w- you know, I won't, I won't go in depth right now because I have another question, but I used to, I used to teach and I can tell you uh, from that experience for about a decade that I very much appreciate what you do. And I appreciate that you are the one who is doing it because even though I would love to, I have taught my kids certain things here and there, piano for my daughter, et cetera. You know, that relationship as being teacher slash parent does not always work super well. And so having someone who, can jump in the way you can and bring the energy and spirit that you do is, is just a real gift. Well, and I appreciate that. And I I have to say, um, I come from two non-musician parents who are great musical appreciators. And I learned over the years at first, it was kind of like, you look at your colleagues, sometimes music's a real family business, right? You look at your colleagues with musical moms and musical dads, and they know things that you just don't know. And I've come to really appreciate at this point in my career that my mom is my mom and my dad is my dad and they've got my back no matter what. Um, and my teacher and I have, I have many, I have amassed many because there are so many great teachers in my life. Um, both my current voice teacher who I'll just a shout out to Francesca Mondanaro right now. She is an absolute phenomenon of a voice teacher and Gary Relier, who's been a, for- a forever teacher of mine you know, they're, Gary in a way is almost parental. He's <laughs> like a second dad, but they are very much your teacher and it's a different relationship. It's very close and it can feel familial, but it is so different. It is such a unique uh, bond and such a unique situation that I've really benefited from having both. And I think a lot of musical parents sometimes do find joy in being able to step back and watch their child bond with this other person. I imagine it takes, I'm not a parent myself, so I imagine it takes incredible fortitude to give the reins over to someone else and let them care for that part of your child's life. But it really is a great benefit, actually, um, to be able to give a student that space where they can have their folks, even me in my age, I'm not going to say, but as as I'm an older lady in the business these days, considered, you know, I still very much rely on the support of my family and they're very much there in that category. Um, they have excellent taste. They know me well. There are things that they can give me that a teacher cannot. And a teacher 
is, is, you know, very much that unique private, you know, you don't have an audience, you can make all the mistakes you want. We can talk about that more as we talk about how music is made. Um, but that's been really invaluable to me to separate those two. So there's some wisdom there. <laughs> there's a lot of wisdom there. And I think that's a, a good couple of good points. Uh, it is, I think, for most kids, easier to make those mistakes with someone who is not as close as a parent because the repercussions there if you have a good teacher such as you are, you have made a mistake for a teacher and you will work on, you know, correcting that and doing something else and learning more and all of that. And with a parent, yes, it can be that way, but there's all this emotional bonding and baggage and, and ins and outs. And a kid may wonder, uh, does this, you know, does this mean something different to my parent uh, as far as how they judge me and all of these things. And, and so never forget Parents are paying the bills at first. So, you know, you get to a certain age where you're like, do I have to prove? I, I, I will shout out to my mother and father. I never, ever had to prove that I could make it. That was not a part of our equation. It was like, you do it. And my father, one of, I mean, the wisest man on the planet. I'm a real daddy's girl. I'm a mama's girl too. But my father said to me, you do it till it's fun. And then you don't do it anymore. That's it. There was no cost. There was no cost for their support. There was no cost for their help. But I recognize, and I know that's the way in your family as well. uh, I recognize that um, not everyone is in that situation. So some of my students are like, I've got to show my mom that I'm going to eat. You know, they're paying for this big degree. I've got to show them that they're not going to be paying for the me for the rest of my life. And that is a huge part of an artistic life. How do you do it? How do you make it work? Not everyone's Renee Fleming. Not everyone's, I don't know, Lady Gaga. They deserve to be where they are, but not everyone is going to have that career trajectory. And the pressure of having to prove yourself doesn't exist in the studio, or it shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. That's right. It shouldn't artistically, and it shouldn't professionally. And I think Uh, What I find interesting about that dynamic is that I come from kind of a somewhat similar background in terms of support, which is my parents never said, go get a real job or uh, give it five years or 10 years. And then if it's not working, go do something else. They've Mm -hmm. been supportive throughout my entire life. Now, my dad is a, you know, musician and, and, and it has been his whole life. So there was a bit of a different dynamic there. And he was my teacher, actually, for a while. And that was, hit, you know, hit or miss, but he taught me a lot in the end. It's, you know, it was, it, we both have tempers. So it was an interesting dynamic, but, uh, <laughs> but I do think I, I always wonder, so let's say you have this great, uh, you know, support in your family, right. give you the space and confidence to do whatever you want. And right. if you're a certain type of person, that's all you need. You need that freedom, space, confidence to be able to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it work, however that happens, through the trial and error and all of that. Mm-hmm. The other side of that uh, is, I've heard other artists say this, they came from a background that was not very supportive. And they needed to somehow find that fortitude within themselves to pull themselves up and create themselves the way mm-hmm. they felt it and saw it, which for one person 
might crumble right away because that lack of support makes them feel small. And for another person would actually give them the impetus they need, the fire to say, I'm going to defy what my family kept drilling into my head. And, and there, that's sort of a different way to think of it. Right. And I think that's a person taking something negative and doing, putting the extra energy to spin it into a positive motivation. I personally, I'll tell you right now, I don't work that way. I don't learn that way. I don't teach that way. I don't learn a role that way. I don't approach my jobs that way. That is never going to be who I am. Um, my source of, and I've gone through some stuff. Everybody's gone through some stuff. Um, my source of fortitude through a lot of that was always coming from, and I, again, this was the background that I was fortunate enough to be raised in. Um, uh, I have a very strong, I won't get too specific because I don't like to alienate people. Um, but I have a very, very strong faith base. Um, so I always knew who I was and to whom I belonged. Mm. So I have a very strong faith in a higher power. And something has always, something miraculous at the 11th hour has always come in to save my behind. I, I do though, I have in my younger years, particularly lacked discipline mm. because I was smart and I had a great voice and I come from an easier background and I did not have to scrape and climb until I was older. And so I think adversity does come to us as a gift. My great gift was that I had full support. And another great gift that came to me was that partway through my undergraduate degree, and I say this with joy, and I'll name this school, I'm Canadian. And I went, I chose, I learned two very valuable lessons. I chose the school. I was from such a small town and I'd never, the idea of studying music full-time, oh my God, magic, magic. How does one do this? And I, I walked into this school and it was beautiful. I mean, the, 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 uh, the facilities, the programs, the money, Wilfrid Laurier University, I'll never forget it, in Ontario. And I walked into another school that was an abandoned old bowling alley with a musical theater program and um, a music program. And I mean, the school was really well known for those programs, but not a fancy school in Ontario, University of Windsor, Ontario. And I did what any uh, 17 year old, 18 year old girl would do. I chose the fancy schmancy school and I had stars in my eyes. And I'm gonna tell you, with great love for those people at Wilfrid Laurier, they seriously underestimated my talent. Mm. And I learned what it felt like. Oh. See, because I came from my mom and dad, I knew I was somebody. I had my confidence issues. I was an overweight kid. I had all kinds of stuff that, that girls bring with them. But underneath all that crap, uh, can I say, oh, I just said crap on a, a podcast. You can say anything Under, you can tell you can tell that I, I work at an elementary school. I'm yes. very careful. Um, but underneath that garbage that isn't true, I had a fundamental truth. I knew I was really good and I had this larger instrument. They didn't know what to do with that. Bless their hearts. They have trained some excellent singers who they did know what to do with. But Bridget Hogan, they had never seen before. Uh, and they didn't know what to do with me. And so they, if that became clear. And partway through my degree, I went to that bowling alley. Mm. 
Hmm. I was devastated. And I went to that old bowling alley called the University. I'm going to get choked up because they're the reason I'm here. The University of Windsor, Ontario. And it is still uh, the absolute cradle of my career and my personality as an artist. I walked into that bowling alley and there were more um, passionately and very well-educated educators on the faculty people with credits, you can build a pretty school, but it's all about the teachers in it. These people, my teacher, who uh, dan- uh, I, I'm no longer married, but who danced with me right after my father at my wedding, mm-hmm. Stephen Henriksen, my teacher at that school is forever a part of my life. He's sung all over the world. He's this incredible bass baritone. He's still amazing, by the way, and he's getting on. I, I mean, He's never going to look old to me, but he would Mm. say he's getting on in years. He's an incredible singer, an incredible artist. And I got an education in three years at that school that is irreplaceable. So I learned a really important lesson. I learned to stick up, to stand my ground for my own talent. But I also learned sometimes you don't need, and here's where I don't want to alienate your audience because part of my life and faith is just including everybody. Mm. For me, I come from a Christian background. And my my and a loving one, a very loving, embracing Christian background. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, I've gone to sat in the pews my whole life at mass and, you know, shake the dust from your feet and keep walking. It doesn't say turn around and fight. It says shake the dust from your feet and keep walking. And that has been the hallmark of my career. And I just shook the dust from my feet. I'm not angry. I was when I was younger. I'm not now. Yeah. I went. I went to the University of Windsor and that dust did not come with me and go where you're another way of saying is go where you're appreciated, go where you're loved, go where you're loved. Don't fight because somebody's got their own stuff going on. And so my way, although not as tiger-esque or as disciplined per se, was to go where I am loved. And I do that musically too. Um, I don't fight to sing repertoire that isn't right for me. I go with what I love and I go with what loves my voice back and what, what loves my talent back. And maybe that isn't going to be what this company is casting this year. You know, and you can fit into those molds. You need the job. You can get it done if, you, if your technique is good enough. And most opera singers, their technique is good enough, to be quite honest. We're a highly educated bunch, but, you know, go where the love is. And I learned those, that would be, that was the first terrible thing that happened to me. I was in a terrible situation Mm -hmm. and, and I learned a lot from it. And, um, and I was in a very loving environment. I learned how I learn, you know, you nurture me, I will climb Mount Everest for you. You, you know, I'm not a student that needs a kick in the pants. Do you know? Some people do. They're very motivated by adversity. I, uh, I look at adversity and go, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what's wrong with you that you're making that happen for me. <laughs> I, I can't. It, it confuses me. So I don't, I don't, it doesn't clarify things for me. And I think actually a lot of, we don't talk about it, but a lot of artists are that way. Adversity can help you and motivate you. And if it's what you got, you're going to use it. But how much more delightful could your learning be if 
if we replaced adversity with encouragement yeah. and discovery and joy acceptance yeah and i think this is as the music education world changes and the music world changes i have great optimism and great hope that that is where we are going um that we are going to take shortcuts adversity works it works and and listen i have so much respect for my colleagues that have jumped through way more hoops than i have way more and some of their adversity was un i mean look at me i have certain privileges that my colleagues do not my colleagues of color have had more adversity than i can ever imagine um my colleagues that did not come from a nice middle class family in terms of financial i mean listen it's been unavoidable for some people and what those people have managed to do is take that adversity and i still believe they've learned by encouragement they have turned it into encouragement for themselves they have used it as fuel but as this is the teacher in me as an educator i look at that and say okay that's nice but that's no way to teach people because how many did we lose they're not weak because they crumbled Mm-hmm. How many did we lose just because they don't learn that way? How what talent is lurking in church choirs and and boardrooms that you know had something to say to the world? There's a lot of what we call shadow artists out there. Some of them are doing incredible things. They're they're teaching, but they're they're only teaching, which is not only teaching, but that is their exclusive um, work, which is wonderful. And they're working on behalf of their students. They're artist managers, and God bless them. We'd all be up a creek without them. But artist managers, um, you know, that are creating on behalf of others, sometimes. Some of them have had huge careers already and then decided to use that to help. But, you know, what encouragement was not given to them? That's a serious question. I don't know. That that, that comes from a real place of charity and love, like you said. There's a that, that's it's as though the center of not just what you do and what you choose to do, but how you choose to do it comes from that place of love. I'm going to be blunt with you, though. I have no excuse. Like, I have no excuse not to come from that place, that I was raised in that place. Um, Although some aspects of my spiritual life, as I see them, I kind of look at them and go, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. Some of the things that they say. I wasn't raised with that interpretation of scripture or religion. I wasn't raised with an exclusive. um, I was raised with, you know, God is love all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's all I know. And that's all I want to know at this point. And I've had more, I've had my share of poor teachers perhaps, but I have had more good than bad. I've had a lot given to me. So to be quite honest, you know, you could choose to be bitter, but in my case, it really would be a choice. Like there's just no excuse. There's no excuse for that um, because I've been shown a lot of grace, a lot. I've made huge mistakes, as we all do, Mm. and I'm I'm an I'm rambling on because I'm like a raging introvert. So as most performers are, right? And 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 you know, there's always I as I as I told one of my favorite students, I can let you guess who it is. (laughs) <laughs> Don't worry about going away to school. There's always an extrovert next door. 
you don't need to make friends. God bless those people. They'll take care of you. Like <laughs> there's always an extrovert that will be your friend. And I've had that my whole life. I've had that and, and I've benefited greatly. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I say this not in a snarky way, but I've had a basically very joyful and loving life. So for me, it's not remarkable that I make that choice. Like there's no excuse for me not to put that back out. You know, I've, I've always been astonished at your ability to find the positive. And, and I'll say this to the people out there. And that is that in the course of you working with my kids, uh, we have done other work together for choir mm -hmm. and things like that. And we've had discussions here and there. And, and uh, I will sometimes express my concern about what's going on in my own career or things like that. And there's never not been a time where you've come back and, and said something positive. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to know that. I, I will say, though, that, again, like, full disclosure. Oh, there you go. Full disclosure. My phone is ringing. Hang on one second. For sure. I'm just going to. I don't get it. I'm just going to mute it. I forgot to mute my phone. Sorry, That's Nick. Cool. That's all right. Um, full disclosure, uh, that's a survival tool. Like, I learned that the hard way. You know, we all have fear of missing out. Why, why am I not on the list? Why didn't I get cast? Why, you know, what about this? What about that? And I did it. I mean, all my whole 20s. You try to fit into this box and you try to fit into this box and classical music. Oh man, I'm old enough that I don't give a crap. If I criticize the system, they love boxes. They love it. There's your fach. There's your voice type. You can sing this and this and this, or you can sing this and this and this, and you never sing this and this. And it's so stupid. And, and, you know, listen, that is a way of, I'm going to get really on a soapbox here, but that is a way of taking genius and cutting it down to size so that average people feel okay. Mm -hmm. Let's color code everything. You know, we always pick on the really smart kid with a messy desk. Can you tell? I might have a little bit. I was a really smart kid with a messy desk. Mm -hmm. We always pick on the really smart kid with a messy desk. And we tell them, you need to organize that desk because you can't find anything in it. And you know, I was very bold. I was a bad little girl. I used to answer those teachers. No, you can't find anything in it. I know where everything is. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> right? Yes. No, it makes you uncomfortable. And these systems are designed to make average comfortable. Now, I love average and I love above average. And, and I believe that we are all gifted in one way or another. Don't get me wrong, but we cannot ignore the absolute gift of talent, of, of genius, of creation in our people, young or old. We cannot ignore that and we've got to embrace it. And embracing that means that these nice little color-coded categories are bullshit. They're baloney. And, and you can't, you can't do it that way. 
you can't do it that way. I, this is why I love new music. I love premiering new music because a composer is just going to write for who I am. You know, no one's going to tell me you're not allowed to sing Handel, which I happen to adore and which is what started off my career mm. really is, is singing a lot of runs and a lot of high notes and a lot of Baroque music. And it meant a lot to me. It's also a lot of sacred music, which is where I come from. I started singing in church. You know, this is what, what I know this is what I understand. You know, Handel, Messiah, you can't sing the solos to the Messiah and then turn around and sing these large Verity roles. And it's like, well, I just did. Mm-hmm. But, and it's fine. I don't care anymore. But those conversations are exhausting. And when a composer sitting down saying, hey, neat, you sound fantastic. What can we write that works with you? And you look back at them and say, how do I honor what you wrote for me? That's a really special experience. And it, it has been a, I think it's not the only way. And, and I think that we're getting to a point where it isn't the only way, but through the last few years, it has been a tool for me to avoid the boxes. Mm. But at this point in my career, I, I used to just try to avoid the conflict at this, you know, women over, you know, always fear a woman over 40 because she's ticked <laughs> off. Right. Um, so at this point, I don't care. I'll just step on your little box. I'm done. I'll just sing whenever I want. But it was a great tool to get me to that point. And, and there have been some really gracious composers, even through my undergraduate degree, to to now that I've continued that I've worked with and that I've continued to work with and it's it's just it's how it's how we refresh it's how we renew is these people are writing for you not for a fach and we have to remember Mozart didn't write for a fach either a voice type is what I mean when I say fach I was going to ask you yeah yeah I mean there's something called a light soprano who might have a more slender sound and sound a little younger. And they might sing characters that end in Ina and Etta and sort of maids and princesses and what you might call an ingenue in musical theater. And then there's, you, you know, and then there's a lyric soprano who might be your dying heroine of tuberculosis. I've died many, many times of tuberculosis <laughs> on stage. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And then there's yeah. your coloratura soprano with these crazy, crazy high notes. And then there's your, your dramatic soprano. Get out the horns. You know what I mean? Bugs Bunny, kill the wabbit. That's that lady. So <laughs> opera in a nutshell, everyone. Love so, it. you know, these these fox that happen, you know, um, the the composers that wrote for for women, they were writing for women they knew. They were writing for beautiful voices. They weren't like, aha. This will be for a dramatic soprano, you know, this will be, you know, and and we've gone really far that route, including this will be a a soprano who is short and 150 pounds or less. And that, you know, how how the different voice types look. Oh, yeah. I saw that look on your face. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's a real part. It's still a real part of opera. We're, we're trying to say, oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. But it is. It is. Yeah. Um, and it's always going to be, uh, you know, you're supposed to be 
young looking and thin and pretty. And then if you are, well, why'd you come in with a Wagner Aria? You're supposed to be six foot four and weigh 250 pounds if you sound like that. There's a real idea of what you should, thin or fat, shorter or, or tall, um, muscular or not. There's a real idea of what that voice, that sound looks like. There's sort of a type. And we have that in musical theater too, like a type, but it has more to do with personal personality and, and what a person might bring. And I know no one likes to be typecast, but something as personal as the color of your instrument going with a certain physique can be really challenging. And actually a lot of us that don't, I don't look like what I sound like all the time. That's been part of my experience. That's part of my gift. And a lot of people who don't look like what they sound like end up making a lot of modern music. It's a real safe haven for us because no one's ever done it before. Mm-hmm. And so that, that can be kind of neat. You know what I mean? And it's exciting. And there's all the good things too. I don't want to go on a negative track because I don't think it's a negative thing. I think it's a thing that we're recognizing and we're changing it. Well, that's the positive of all this is that, and, and I, I love hearing about this because I mean, you're on the right show talking to the right person because <laughs> the whole idea of music is not a genre is the is is to do away with boxes and, and, you know, labels and lines as much as we possibly can, because they they don't just limit or make people comfortable. They also do a lot of damage. And right. to hear that, A, this is something that exists in the classical world is not surprising, but B, that that it's being recognized and that, you know, steps are being taken to, you know, to step away from that is great. And they are. And I think the next step, I think we're at a point where um, sort of the ultra famous, the ultra accomplished, um, you know, every I, I, I use the name Renee Fleming because she was such a household name for opera, Placido Domingo, who I hesitate to mention because his his I'm mentioning because of his fame. Um, his activity is not something I agree with. Um, or, you know, uh, somebody like that, you, you think of, of Gerald Finley right now, who is sort of a great operatic star. And I think one of the best singers in the world um, uh, who's performing at the Metropolitan Opera right now, you know, these are, these are world-class at the top of their field, uh, high, you know, high price tag, artist Stephanie Blythe comes to mind um, and they're in a position where they can break down barriers they can sing Stephanie Blythe is, is just so well known for singing getting on YouTube with her ukulele and singing folk songs and um, she has an alter ego who is a he and I, they're just a, sort of an incredible um, artist and and doing really gender gender bending roles you know um, Stephanie Blythe performed Don Jose, the tenor role in the traditionally tenor role in Carmen and um, at, at Chicago Opera Theater. And, you know, what an incredible what an incredible thing. And so those artists are using their privilege to lead the way. I think the next step, though, is that the rest of us don't have to be afraid. Oh, yeah. And we aren't there yet. You know, Renee Fleming made a jazz album and was highly criticized for it years ago when she did it. Rock and roll album. You know, we aren't there yet. Um, a, a past teacher of mine, Heidi Skoke, you know, who was a Metropolitan uh, a soprano at the Metropolitan Opera, 
is now singing contralto repertoire because that's what works for her as a classical artist and, and plays and sings a lot of pop for herself and is putting that out. Um, those people are out there doing it, um, but we aren't to a place where, I mean, somebody like me at my age, I'll just do what I want. But a 25-year-old coming into the business might have to be careful still about what they say. We know that gatekeeping is going on. We know that um, conductor, you know, people say, oh, you know, back in the day, these conductors used to hit on the girls or no, it's happening now. Uh-huh. I could, I could show you texts from this week. It's happening now. Oh yeah. <laughs> really inappropriate stuff. It's happening now. And you put yourself in a position where you have to say, I am who I am. And I choose not to take the bait. Cause let me tell you something, young ladies, I'm very lucky that I didn't fall into that. They're not going to help you anyway. They're going to promise you the world. They're not going to help you anyway. So just do your own thing. And gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is more prominent. Ladies do just, uh, women do deal with it a little bit more often, but it's everywhere. I, I, you know, we hear about it anyway, women dealing with it a little more often, but it's everywhere. Men, women, um, having to deal with that. If you speak up and you're not famous, eh, it may, you're not going to, you're, you're not going to receive satisfaction in terms of results. And, you know, you may hamper your own career. We're still there. Um, But we're, I am very hopeful that as we discuss it, we move away from that. It has to be, yeah, brought to life. It has to be because I really think that when people, when people see ugly, they deal with it. I really do. And we're artists and we're here to make beauty and sometimes ugly so that we communicate so that we tell the story, but we are here to build a culture. Artists build the culture. And I think that when we bring ugly things to light in our culture, um, you know, whether that is making the gifted child organize his or her desk or their desk, or whether that is making the non-binary performer use pronouns that don't work for them because they need to fit into a fa, right? There's so many levels to yeah. this. Yeah. Um, those, those, that is a form of narrow-mindedness. And we, as, as artists, are always expanding. And I think that when we show the narrow and when we show that it is an ugly part of our society... I do have great faith that we will correct it. I think the first thing is to see it and we are seeing it. We are seeing it um, and recognizing it. And, you know, there was, I mean, five years ago, I would not have brought this up to you because I would be concerned about who would be angry with me. Mm. But we're past that now. We are past that. And it, and that's the and that's like you said, that's not the end, you know, but to get to a place where this can be discussed, you know, anywhere, anytime, regardless of who you offend, because, you know, there are people out there with ears to hear what we're saying and why we're saying it and why more important people than we are and more, you know, targeted people than we are saying these, these things and are experiencing it firsthand. 
mm-hmm. means that it's it's not it's part of the conversation and has gotten past uh, certain points of well this you know a we can't talk about it. okay now we can talk about it and then next the next right. step is we can talk about it but don't get your hopes up no we have our hopes up now because we're seeing change and and we're seeing it in every realm of the arts and beyond and then the, and then the next step is to you know root out the people who think well that's just old school that's just the way you do you do things or you you know i i do it that way because somebody in the 80s or 60s did it that way no, right you know root that out and then get to the point where we we are hearing more stories the way we see them depicted in the in certain idealized tv shows and movies where the there's you know casting is is blind to type right and the people who are cast in those roles are accepted within the the world of that story that's being told which is the start of them of them and that type of uh living being accepted in the real world too we're seeing inspiration within yeah. the fiction even and that's trickling into the nonfiction, the real parts of our world yeah, and the other thing is that the younger artist coming up um, does have a very strong sense of self and is bringing some fire to that, some real fire to that to say, hey, you know, this is, we need to include everybody. And they've been brought up, I would say, te- like late teens, um, I call them kids because they're my kid, but kids in their 20s, you know coming up are saying like it's not even a thing it's not even a thing it's like this is this art they go by they this is this artist this is that artist and they'll ask the question hey like why is bohem always in like why is it why is that an all-white cast like what that's that's strange to us that's strange to us right excluding not seeing the diversity is becoming unacceptable and it's becoming strange and i balance talking about it because again you know i haven't been on the receiving end of some of the difficulties that that my colleagues face right the typecasting the you know the idea i mean i the 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 idea of blackface at the Metropolitan Opera being a thing that's still talked about, I mean, comes to mind, right? <laughs> it's unacceptable. Flat out, it's unacceptable. It is unacceptable. It is unacceptable. And, and that, that people have felt kept out of this, people of incredible technique and training. This is not a lesser artist. These are equal artists. And I, I want to say that because some people try to justify things and there's just no justification for it, um, to be totally clear. And, and one of the ways that you change it is if you, if you can, is by teaching. Mm. And how you cast as a teacher matters. And how you speak in, in a classroom matters. And what roles you pull as a private teacher, when you turn to a student and, and you say, you could sing Cinderella, you could sing when when you turn, I will never forget, and this was very recent, I won't use a name, 
uh, a student who often was cast in older roles. She's a high soprano and a light lilting. I mean, Rogers and Hammerstein is her jam, this child. <laughs> and, and kills it. High notes for days. She happens to be of a non-normative body type. She happens to be a little taller, a little broader, and she is carrying more weight than some of her colleagues. And that, I mean, fat is not a dirty word to her. That is a descriptor. She is larger. She's a beautiful woman, a beautiful plus-sized young woman. Mm -hmm. And I gave her Cinderella from Rodgers and Hammerstein to learn, and she cried. So we aren't there yet because nobody that's a, if you listen to this girl, like that's a no brainer, by the way, Uh, it's a no brainer. Like I'm not some genius for coming up with that. It's a no brainer, but she had been cast as the aunt, the mother, the sidekick because of her appearance and her ethnicity actually had come together to put her in that hole that wasn't even her instrument. It wasn't her voice. It wasn't the physical gift that she had. Ridiculous. So we're working on it. And as a teacher, that's the power that you can have, right? One kid at a time. It's One I, person at a time. I talk about uh, education as being so important mainly because i get so disheartened by the things you're hearing when Mm. it comes to you know not being allowed to talk about certain subjects in school that you know that are clearly appropriate you know or or the or that the, the way textbooks interpret certain things and all of that is happening and some of that happens through legislation or people who have nothing to do with education, but so much of it has to do with the teachers who are teaching it and the example they set and the paths mm-hmm. that they're forging in the minds of these kids that for them to lead down, mm-hmm. the, the, it, it's, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the idea of, how, of uh, being in a, in a, you know, feeling that you're in a world of acceptance whether it's, you know, you're encouraged to be who you are or you're encouraged to think what you think about mm-hmm. the rest of the world. If, if you, the, the, there are people who will do that anyway and thank God for them because we need people who are going to get beyond what <laughs> negativity and, and, and you know, uh, closed-mindedness is being thrown at them. But it is so much easier when you have examples and teachers who are creating that world for the kids. That It's a big deal. It's a big deal in a broader sense in any topic. But when you said there are people who will do it anyway, and I was like, yeah, and most of them work with us, right? <laughs> I mean, that's yep. our responsibility. That's my responsibility having the instrument that I have. That's my responsibility as a conductor. That's my responsibility as a teacher. That's my responsibility. And those are not different jobs to me. You know, I talk a lot with my students about an artistic life. Do you want to be famous or do you want to be an artist? They can be the same thing. They're often not. But do you want an artistic life? You know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And what works for you? Yeah. And, and you know, what 
what did you learn while conducting this piece that helps you sing this piece? And what technique, because technique to me, you know, people think about it rigid. Technique, technique is the doorway. It's the bridge. It's what makes it yours. One of you, how do you prepare a role? I consume it. I, yeah, I listen to it. I, I plunk it out on the piano. I, I put it in my voice. I'm doing all the singers will all laugh. I'm you know, singing it through a straw, doing the lip trills. All of those things are to put it in the body. But what they really are is owning it. And technique gives you ownership. Because new music's one thing. You got to own it and you've got to make it into something that makes sense to you, something that is accessible to you. And the more outrageous the music might be or groundbreaking the music might be, it is not my responsibility to break the ground. The composer did that. The lyricist did that. It is my responsibility to to be the bridge that takes that groundbreaking work and make it incredibly conversational and accessible to everyone who's going to consume it. And how do I do that? Technique. Technique. You got to get up and, you know, if you lift weights, you will get stronger. If you use your voice, if you use your brain, you will get stronger. You got to get up and practice. Mm. You got to do the work. And yeah. sometimes the work for me isn't practicing because I'm friggin' exhausted at the end of the day of yeah. teaching. Yeah. My teaching became my practice. And if you don't integrate, you're going to burn out. Yeah. You're going to burn out. Study your score while you go for a walk. Mm. You know, think it through in your head. You know, um, I, I have synesthesia, so I hear in color. So I'm a terrible painter. I am a terrible artist. I draw stick people and I can't, it's, it's really funny. But um, the colors help for me to organize a new piece of music because it's new sound and I'm hearing it or playing it on the piano or singing it. And there's, there's all this stuff. And that's a way of organizing those, those colors. And, and that's just using paint as a way to, I'm not a painter. I have no, you know, I really value talent and that is not mine. Um, but it's a way of, of putting ideas on a canvas in a way that I can own it to make it mine. Because let me tell you, there have been some incredible artists that have shaped this world. I grew up, I wanted to be an opera singer because I saw Joan Sutherland on The Muppets. Oh, yeah. I and I, that. yeah. And I, uh, I, I, for many, many reasons, um, part of them having to do with the way women are, little girls even are taught to view weight. I was a little heavier and I never viewed myself as a very pretty lady. And here was this great big lady who, frankly, I say this with great respect to her memory, would not be what most people call conventionally beautiful. And then she opened her mouth to sing and it was the most glorious, most beautiful thing. And her face, even the way she sang, her face was beautiful. It was like light. Just she was gorgeous. She was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen with a whole bunch of silly looking Muppets around her. So it was quite entertaining for a little girl. And and, and to be able to do that, to see yourself that way was 
was really something. And so I, I do anyway, technique, right? If I had to live up to the way Joan, I sing similar repertoire to Joan Sutherland. We overlap a lot. And if I had to live up to the way she did it, not just the way she did it, but the way she did it in my seven-year-old mind, uh-huh. you know, I worshipped this woman. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I ate it alive as, as a kid. And there was no opera in my house. It was me and my nan watching PBS, me and my nanny watching PBS, you know. But, but I'll tell you, I could never do it. I will never be that to me because I'm me. I'm, I'm inside of it. I'm Bridget. Right. I'm not Dame Joan Sutherland. I'm not mm-hmm. Morella Franey or these people that I grew up just worshiping, uh, you know, or John Denver, who was my mom's favorite singer. Oh, yeah. You know, and, 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 and I grew up listening to Anne Murray and Peter, Paul and Mary, and, and, and I'm not them either. I'm me. Yeah. And it's so normal to be you. You wake up with you when you go through life with you. So you're not some great star to yourself. You can't live up to that. Uh-huh. So technique makes it okay to sound like you uh, singing that rap. Bringing out the, the, the essence of the person and not trying to make them sound like someone else. That's it. And that's why when I teach, it's technique for 10, 15 minutes. And I always tell everybody, we're not warming you up. You've been talking all day. That's a load of crap. You live in your voice. I'm not saying, you know, you need to take care of your voice sure. and be careful and do the proper warmups and all of that. But when you're dealing, a lot of my students are professionals and they know how to warm themselves up. I can tell you that they've been well taught. They've, they, they know their craft. Mm-hmm. I'm not warming them up. I'm not fixing their voice. I am warming. I, we are working on the repertoire. We're just doing it in a way that there's no preconceived notion of how that repertoire must sound because it has to be theirs. And it's about eating it up. It's about ownership and you consume it so that you can give it back. That's amazing. You 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 take it all in, right? Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo, host of Music Is Not A Genre. My talk with Bridget was so fascinating and running so well that I just couldn't bear to stop it at one hour. So consider this the middle of the interview, and you will hear part two of this interview in two weeks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.